Hello, my loves, and welcome back to another episode of So I Got My BFA. If you're new here, welcome. I'm so glad you clicked on to listen. This is a fun little podcast where I talk about theater and musicals and all of the things that I feel qualified to talk about because I have a BFA in musical theater. As always, if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave me a rating and a review. And if you're on Spotify, go ahead and give me a download. That really helps me out. Thank you guys so much. I love ya. And with that, let's get into the episode. I'm just talking, babbling. This is what you came here for, isn't it? Hey guys, happy April. Happy spring. Spring has sprung. The birds are chirping. The flowers are blooming everywhere except for New York, it seems because today it is very dreary and cold and rainy and it's gray outside and it's just not the spring vibes that I want. Especially coming from Texas where it's usually by this time, it's like consistently 75, nice warm short weather, flowers blooming everywhere. I guess in New York that doesn't really happen until May. And the thing that I hate the most about New York is that it teases you. like. The past few days, it was like 65. It was short weather. We were vibing with the sun rays, um, going on long walks, taking in the nice warm weather. And now it's cold again and it's raining and it has been the past two days. And I just would love for it to be like consistently 65. That's not too much to ask for, right? Um, It was so warm this past week that we actually... So I am a part of this brunch club where uh, it started during quarantine and we get on Zoom every week and we have brunch together. And this week, a lot of people were in New York because they were filming Showcase. It's it's done with people that I went to college with. And so they've been in all different types of locations because everyone went home for because of COVID and some people are here and some people are there. But a lot of them were here this week. And so we got to do an in-person, socially distanced brunch club in Washington Square Park and it was really really fun to see everyone but it was warm enough to do that and it felt so nice I actually got like a sunburn on my face because my face has not seen the sun in so long but it was just such a nice thing to be able to see everyone in person and have brunch and catch up and you know do still find ways to do it safely I haven't seen some of these people in person in over a year which is so crazy to me because we're so used to seeing each other every single day Um, and so it was just really nice to catch up with everyone and see how everyone was doing and bask in the warm sun sun glow in Washington Square Park and the vibes were honestly like on the other day there was a a little like jazz band playing some real bops in Washington Square Park I always feel like not cool enough to hang out around the West 4th area it's so like people are so trendy and the vibes are so cool and I just like walk in and I'm like I'm just a little foreign girl from Texas I don't belong here (laughs) but anyway also I can never figure out my way around there I get off the subway and I'm literally like I don't know where I'm going because once you get down that far it's no longer on a grid and apparently the only way I know how to navigate New York City is on a grid system Um, and anything else it's just like my GPS gets confused like I try to like find places to go and my GPS doesn't even know where I am. I would like to say that it's not just me, it's also modern technology that can't figure out. Just saying, it can't just be me. Um, This week has been packed full. I'm actually filming this podcast very, very late, which means it will probably come out a day later, so it might come out on Saturday. But I 
As you guys know, got a new job last week and I have I have been a workhorse lately. I just started training. This is my actually my second week and I have just I have they're throwing lots of hours at me, which I love and it's so much fun. The people I work with are great. I actually am working with one of my best friends and we actually just moved her out of her apartment yesterday, which is why I was so busy yesterday. And it took so long. I'm not here to call any of moving company out, so I'm not going to say the name of it, but I would just like to say if you're a moving company in New York City, you shouldn't complain about walking up and down stairs and moving heavy furniture and you should be prepared for those types of things so it doesn't take over nine hours to move someone from one apartment to a different apartment. But I'll leave it there. I digress. It's New York City. Um, a lot of other things that I'm dealing with in New York City right now is there is construction happening outside of my apartment. So every once in a while, I'll hear like beeping or like men just yelling at each other or car horns. And I'm just like, this is just a, a glimpse of real life, New York City life, people. I'm, I just got my BFA. I'm here to talk about musicals and living in New York. And I'm giving you the new or the true authentic New York living experience. So if you hear a car horn in the background, every once in a while just like bask in the glow of um real new york city life you know what i'm saying i actually was recording in my room but i moved to the living room to try and like block it out a little bit but you can still kind of hear it but also my roommates genevieve's here you guys know her if you hear her walking in and out every once in a while just like you know say hi to her whatever it's fine <laughs> um, anyway so yeah um been working a lot this week, got to do an in-person brunch, moved my friend Nadia out, and today is actually her birthday, so happy, happy birthday, Nadia. We are going to be celebrating later tonight. Yeah, that was that was really this week. Oh, another thing that happened this week, my big ring light, my fancy ring light that I got for Christmas, We I wasn't even able to bring it back with to New York with me from Texas because it wouldn't fit in any of my suitcases, and that was just a hassle, so we had to ship it here and I finally got it and I finally took it out of its box which I hadn't even done when I was back in Texas because I didn't want to like mess anything up guys this thing is literally so big the ring light is probably twice the size of my head itself and then the stand I mean I can like lower it and raise it but it probably lifts up to like eight or nine feet it's so big it's ridiculous but um I just thought I'd share that um, the quality though, I took some pictures with it. Oh, the quality is so good. I'm so excited to, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Film self tapes, make TikToks, you know, just take really good pictures with my phone. I don't know. I'm very excited to start using it, but, uh, but that's basically been my week. So let's go ahead and get into my weekly obsessions. So my first weekly obsession I have, feel like I've talked about this in the past couple of weeks, but this week, the actual full trailer came out, and it's for the last season of Younger. I've talked about this on the podcast before. You guys know I love Younger. You guys know how I feel about Sutton Foster. Um, I think she's amazing. And this is the last season. I'm so sad. But the official trailer, I, I think I talked about, there was like a small trailer that happened a couple of weeks ago that I talked about, but the official trailer for it came out. This past week, my friend Jacob um, is also very obsessed with it. And so he sends me stuff and I send him stuff, but he sent it to me and I watched it. And the drama of season seven is coming in 
hot. I'm not going to give any spoilers. Um, all I'm going to say is if you are a fan of Younger and you have not seen this trailer yet, or if you're not a fan of Younger and you want to just know what it's about and what the last season's going to entail, highly recommend. It It just looks so enticing. And um, they left off the last season with a big cliffhanger, so we kind of see a little bit how that unfolds. I read an article, though, that unfortunately because of COVID, there are some series regulars that are no longer series regulars because they couldn't make it work with COVID. And Diana is one of them. And Diana's like one of my favorite characters. So I don't know like how she's going to make it in and out of the episodes. But hopefully we still get our Diana fix, even though she's not a series regular. I can't even like the fact that like it's season seven and she no longer is a series regular just makes my heart hurt. And uh, just another thing that COVID took from us. But um, but I'm very, very excited for the season. I believe it comes out on the 15th. And hopefully, I know they moved to Paramount Plus, but hopefully it still comes out on Hulu as well because your girl just can't have 5,000 streaming services. It just, it just doesn't work like that. <laughs> can't we all just have it on one? I just wish that everyone would band together and make one singular streaming service so that everyone could be happy and no one had to pay 50,000 different subscriptions. But I guess that's just like we don't live in a perfect life and I don't get to decide those types of things. But um, So that's my first weekly obsession. That was a very, very long tangent. But uh, I'm so excited. April 15th for the season 7 premiere of Younger. I'm very, very excited. Um, this is not a weekly obsession, but also just wanted to say, uh, because another actress you guys know that I'm obsessed with is Lauren Graham and her new show, The Mighty Ducks, just came out on Disney+, Plus, another streaming service, which I do not have, which is very, very sad. And, uh, but it just came out on Disney+, Plus, so I'm trying to figure out ways to watch it. Hopefully one of my friends will lend me their Disney+, Plus just so I can see it. I've heard there's skating involved. And she does a whole routine at the end. So I'm very, very excited to see it. I just have to find out ways to see it. So I don't have a full review on that yet. But um, I love watching anything she's in. She's so great, honestly. And uh, I'm sure the show is fantastic. And that whole Mighty Ducks fandom, I'm sure everyone is very, very happy to see a revival of that. And my last weekly obsession this week, it's not so much as something physical or that you can see, but it's more of just a day. And... This past week was World Theater Day. So that is my last weekly obsession is World Theater Day. I love this day because every time this year, we just see tons and tons and tons of artists posting about how theater has impacted their life. And whether they are Broadway performers or whether they're just people who do community theater for fun or theater directors or you know, theater teachers in schools. And I just love seeing how theater has such a wide impact on so many people, or even just people who love to go to the theater and watch. And that's what makes them happy. And that's what brings them joy and how they like to spend their pastime. It's theater is so relative to everyone's lives. And whether it's a big part of your life or a small part of your life, it has an impact on you, whether you like to think so or not. And I, I just think that that's What's something that's so great about the arts in general is that arts as a whole, like, they impact people and theater specifically, like, you can walk into a show having a bad day, being in a slump, and just escape for one and a half to two and a half hours, you know, it's just, it's, it's a new experience, it's a different experience for everyone, and it impacts everyone in so many different ways, 
And theater has had such a huge impact on my life. I love it dearly. I literally do not think, I cannot think of doing anything else with my life. I think about it constantly, even I'm like one of those people who's like constantly like listening to show tunes and, and I just have never felt burned out from it. And it just, it constantly, I find new things that I love about it every day. And I just love what theater means to people. And it has had such a big impact on my life. So happy World Theater Day. I'm so excited to see how we react to um, it opening back up after this pandemic and what, uh, you know, what means we need to take to, to get things back going on its feet. But like, I cannot wait because you know, the first Broadway performance when everything opens back up, I desperately hope that I can be in a theater that night because that performance is going to be so special. It doesn't matter what show. I just think that like, I'm I'm gonna be emotional and moved to tears because it's been something that's been taken away from us for so long and it's used as such a form of escapism for so many people and and not just for the people watching but for the actors as well and it just means so much to them. I just think it's gonna be like a full-on emotional sob fest and and emotions are gonna be high, happiness, sadness, joy, like so many things are gonna come back and that's what theater does and uh, I hope it comes back better than ever and um I, I just can't wait and so happy world theater day my last and final weekly obsession for this week which means we are moving on to the play of the week now this play of the week i will give a bit of a disclaimer it is not one that i read this week i'm actually working on reading kind of like a hefty play right now that i will that i think i might dedicate a whole episode to so that will be fun for the future. So I'm in the process of doing that right now. Um, and I'm trying to find time with, with everything to like sit down and like read it and really take it in because it's a very heavy play. You guys might even figure out what I'm talking about before I even talk about it. But um, I'm very excited to talk about that play. But for this, this week's play, I want to talk about a play that I read in college, actually my freshman year, that I loved and that I think that everyone should have the experience of reading and, you know, analyze it if you want to, or just like be impacted by it. It's, it's such a, a beautifully crafted play and the message is so strong. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the title. It's called Stop Kiss. It's by Diana Sun. And it's a story about these two girls who are kind of don't know. One of them more so knows where she's at in life and, and she has a, 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 an end goal and, and she knows who she is. And then another girl who really is trying to figure herself out has trouble making decisions and likes to avoid tough situations and and doesn't really know who she is and they meet and they begin as friends and then eventually they fall in love we kind of see their process through that but like the big ultimate thing that happens in the in the show is it's a series of flashbacks and we start with one of the girls being in the hospital after a horrible hate crime against them um, one of the girls was horribly abused after seeing kissing her girlfriend. And um, so the play unfolds, it starts kind of there and then unfolds chronologically within a series of flashbacks. So we see the flashbacks to them, the two girls meeting and 
and how their relationship unfolds. And then, and then every once in a while, we get a glimpse of the present day with how she's dealing being out of the hospital and, and how she's dealing with one of them being in a coma and, and, and things of that nature. But it's kind of a play about finding out who you truly are and the people that you surround yourself with how they have an impact on you. There's this one line that just stands out so much and it's, they're, they're playing a game and one of the questions is, if you were to see an, uh, I think it's a rabbit or any type of animal in the middle of the road, do you swerve to miss it? So do you avoid the act, the incident or do you straddle it? Do you face it dead on and do you attack it with full force and hope for a good outcome? And one of the characters straddles and one of the characters swerves. And you kind of see how those two different ways of, of thinking kind of interact together and mesh and how that relationship is formed through that. But it was written in 1998, but the message of acceptance and um, loving who you love and, you know, there's still being hate against that and hate crimes acted against people two people of the same gender. That's still very relevant in 2020. Even though we've made giant strides forward, it still happens and, it, and it's still such a horrible thing that goes on in our our country and in our society and it's horrible. Um, so it's a play that was written long ago, but it still stands, it has still has relevance in today's society. I don't know what else more to say about it, but it's, it's just a, a great play. It's definitely a play that you want to have read in your in your repertoire. And um, as far as monologues, I think there are, I mean, it's mostly two characters. There are other characters that interact, but it's mostly the main character, Sarah, and the main character, Callie, and their interactions and what they go. There's some great scene work that can be done in that. I was actually in the scene. I believe I was in a scene where they, it's actually the straddle or serve, swerve question in college and that's where I was first introduced to the show and I just think that it's a play that everyone needs to read and maybe even be reminded about of uh, some of the things that go on in even this day and age and and how we can progress past things like this and it's not even I, I want to say it's not even so much a story about the two of them falling in love but it's more of a story of like the main character Callie finding out like who discovering who she is and who she wants to be and having this conflict or conflicting personality of Sarah who is completely different, who knows who she is and she knows what she wants and it's the whole straddle and swerve situation and it's a very cool, the plot unfolds very well. I wish I could be more articulate about it but again I, it's been it's been a while since I've actually sat down and read the show but from, from what I remember in the scene work and studying it that's what I can remember and I just I remember that it was such a great show to read freshman year and and I think that uh, you should definitely add it to your to your reading list so that's the play of the week again like I said I'm reading a big play that I really want to make a whole episode about um, when I finish it and I'm very excited about that but this week we get a play from the past. So um, that's the play of the week, which means that it is time to move on to the musical of the week. I am very, very, very excited for this episode. I have a lot to say. I feel like I've been saying that for the past many episodes that I have so much to say, but like this one was an, a, a musical that it's similar to The Sound of Music in that it had a huge impact on my childhood. I watched it so often, the movie musical version of it. This week we are talking about The Music Man. 
I'm so excited about to talk about this musical. It's another classic. I feel like I haven't really done a classic in a while. And I'm gonna talk about the musical itself, the score, how everything meshes together and how the score characterizes the characters. But I also wanna talk about the upcoming revival of it and kind of give my opinion on that and what I think about the billboard and the casting and um, what I hope to come out of it and how I can't wait for it to open. And so I'm going to go through a whole lot of information about that, but I'm also just going to reminisce on, I grew up watching the Christian Chenoweth and Matthew Broderick version over and over and over and over again on repeat. I was actually in the show in high school, so I might talk about, well, middle school-ish? It's a situation. We'll talk about it. And um, so I have lots of things to talk about, so let's go ahead and get into it. And starting with the Wikipedia synopsis, because Wikipedia did not disappoint this week. So here we go with the Wikipedia synopsis. <clears throat> the Music Man is based on a story about a con man, Harold Hill, who poses as a boys' band's organizer and leader and sells band instruments and uniforms to naive Midwestern townsfolk, promising to train the members of the new band. Harold is no musician, however, and plans to skip town without giving any music lessons. Prim librarian and piano teacher Marion sees right through him, but when Harold helps her younger brother overcome his lisp and social awkwardness, Marion begins to fall in love with him. He risks being caught to win her heart. I would say that, that is a pretty solid overall synopsis, Wikipedia. Very, very nice. I would give that a nice solid 9 out of 10. It doesn't give away too much of the plot line. It gives a, a, an overall basis. It does give a little bit of the, the ending away. So maybe I'll dock that to like 7 out of 10 because I don't like when synopsises give the ending away. Like, leave me wanting more. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but overall, we haven't seen a Wikipedia synopsis in a while, so it's a solid one. It's a solid one. I'm so happy to be talking about The Music Man. I tend to forget about this musical. It almost seems like when people like mention the musical The Music Man to me, I'm like, oh yeah, it's a musical, it's fine. And then when I sit down and rewatch it and I listen to the score and I'm, I'm reminded of how good of a musical this is. Um, just as, even just so much as like taking the little tiny things like the score and the orchestration and the fact that the whole first song, the beat is being kept with the train tracks. And you know, it, it, it's just like, I, I don't know. I just love the way that it's, it's melded and formed together. And I think that overall, it's a really, really, really good score. Yesterday when I was watching it, I found myself like wanting to sing along to like every single song and I have not seen The Music Man. I have not seen the musical since I was in it, which was my eighth grade year of school. Uh, so this was actually the last musical, the first and last musical I ever participated in in technically high school-ish. So the way that they did it is our high school put on the production, but they opened up auditions for the whole community. So it could be a community effort as well as just the high school production. So I auditioned and I was actually cast as Ethel Toffelmeyer. 
the piano player, which was very interesting because um, at the time I did not know one note from another on the piano. I had no piano experience, but um, I got cast as Ethel Toffelmeyer, which was very, and it was also, um, I was one of the only eighth graders who actually got a speaking role and I was very excited. But then as we all know, uh, my high school no longer did musicals after that point because we got a new director and um, I no longer got to participate in theater, but that's for another story. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it all, everything worked out for me. It's all gonna be fine. But this, yeah, this was the last musical I was ever in in high school and I really haven't seen it or looked at it since then. It's so weird that it never really came up in college at all. It was one of those musicals that like you feel like falls into the classics, but also it, it doesn't necessarily seem like a classic. You think of when you think of the classics, you you really think of the R and H canon and and things that are similar to that. You don't necessarily, you don't even like. I don't know why the Music Man just like kind of falls into the cracks of Golden Age, and then you have the Music Man, and then you have the other musicals out to come after. I don't know why it always gets lost. But with the upcoming revival, it is now becoming very relevant again, and. I'm so happy that I decided to talk about this musical this week because it just reminded me of my childhood and I forgot like how much of an impact this musical had on me and because I literally like beat by beat I remembered every single thing that went on in this musical. I didn't even know who Christian Chenoweth was when I was watching this at the age of like six or seven over and over again. Like I didn't know who these people were but like little did I know that they were having such a huge impact on me growing up. So anyway, let's go ahead and get into the discussion about it. The first thing I want to talk about is the upcoming production because there has been a lot of controversy about this. There are a lot of people who are very, very excited about there just being a Music Man revival in general. There are some people who are very, very, very angry because of what happened with the whole Beetlejuice situation. There are some people who are very skeptical of everything because is it stunt casting? Is it not stunt casting? And there are people like me who are very, very excited about the revival, excited for the people they cast, wondering if there is, if like, wondering about the whole stunt casting aspect and also sad to see Beetlejuice go. So I'm kind of one of those people who like looks at everyone and I'm like, I get you and I get you too. But I also understand what you're saying and I get you too. I'm seeing like all of the different points of views on the musical, but here's my overall opinion about the upcoming revival. I think it's about time that we did a revival of The Music Man. It hasn't been done in a while, and it is, in my opinion, a classic that should be being revived over and over again. And this is what I'll say about the the idea of stunt casting. First of all, this is what I'm going to say. I think that the marketing is like screaming stunt casting. The fact that the billboards is like... Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster and then wedged in between that is a little tiny The Music Man. I think that the the way they're marketing it is they're screaming like this is a stunt casting. We are simply trying to bring in the viewers and it's almost in a way with like 
with classics like this, like, you don't have to do that. Like, people want to see revivals of this. Like, yes, tell them that Hugh Jackman is playing Harold Hill and tell them that Sutton Foster is playing Mary and the Librarian. But you don't have to scream that on the giant Winter Garden billboard. It's almost like it hurts my eyes to look at a little bit because there's so much going on. And the Winter Garden billboard is also, like, one of the biggest um, marquees in the first place. So, like, when you have, like, so much lettering and print up there in the first place it just like your eyes like go every which way and then you don't even see the title of the musical and then on the whole stunt casting aspect of it in my opinion and this is just my opinion and i think that it's valid honestly sutton foster is not stunt casting sutton foster grew up on broadway and played leading lady after leading lady after leading lady after leading lady she has two tony awards sure she took a break from broadway because she was filming a television show and raising a kid, but just because she's coming back to Broadway does not make it stunt casting. And this is what I have to say to everyone saying that, oh, they just cast her for her name. She's not even right for the role, like blah, 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 blah. This is where you sit back and you say, don't you want to see new interpretations of the role? I'm sitting here watching Kristen Chenoweth, who is a character actress through and through when you really think about it, playing Mary and the Librarian and killing the role in the movie in 2003. So why can someone as Sutton Foster, who is also kind of known as a charactery leading lady type, why can't she step into the role and without any skepticism? Don't you want to see the interpretation that she brings to it? She's such a great actress and has such a great point of view and don't you guys want to see like what she's going to bring to the role if they have to lower the keys then they have to lower the keys we all know that Sutton is not a high legit soprano and that's just not her voice type and if they lower the keys they lower the keys and that's fine but I'm more interested in seeing a good interpretation and acting portrayal of the role than I am than I am hearing her like screech out a high whatever B flat or A or whatever the note at the end of my white knight is I think that's the that's the one that goes really high anyway that was just like a little rant and tangent that I had to get on because the idea of labeling Sutton Foster who has literally grown up on Broadway as stunt casting stunt casting in my mind is when a show is not doing well, the ratings are low, it's not a great storyline, it's not a great show, and they bring in quote-unquote famous people to fill the seats in the show. And it's not that those people aren't necessarily qualified to be playing the characters, but it's that like, it's that like you need the name to fill the seats. I don't think that the music man needs names to fill the seats. And whether they're doing that with Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster or not, it's the whole fact that like people are saying that Sutton Foster is a stunt casting. And I just don't think that that's true because I think that she fully deserves to be on the Broadway stage. She is fully capable of taking on this role and they wouldn't cast her if she wasn't right for the role. That's my idea of Sutton Foster. Let's go to Hugh Jackman <laughs> because Hugh Jackman is also very, 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 very qualified to play Harold Hill. I think he'll be a great Harold Hill. This one is a little bit more. I think this is a little more of a let's grab a big name and put him on the marquee 
to bring the people in. Do I, 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 and I just like hate the term stunt casting in the first place because like it, it almost takes that person who's playing the role and it's like, oh, then maybe I don't actually deserve to play this role. In most cases, in most cases, I'm not saying all cases because we all know that there have been some cases where they bring people in who definitely aren't qualified to be playing these roles just for, for the name. I'm not going to mention anything in specific, but we all know the recent thing that happened. Anyway, but again, Hugh Jackman is very qualified, and I think he's perfect to play Harold Hill. He has that personality through and through. He can play that so well. It's very similar to his role in The Greatest Showman, I think, in my mind. And I think that he's like that type of actor who will do a really, really good job playing the role of Harold Hill. Is that stunt casting? That's your opinion. And... Again, like I just think that the way they're marketing it is screaming, and it's it's letting people know that it want they want it to seem like it's stunt casting because I mean they are they're two big names, and that's the whole thing of it all. But at the end of the day, they are both very very qualified to be playing the roles, and I can't wait to see their interpretations of it. And it's gonna be a great musical because number one, the Music Man is already a great show to begin with. Number two, those two are very very qualified to be doing the show. And number three, it's a musical. It's, it's a classic. It's a musical that is going to lift your spirits. The giant dance breaks. I cannot wait to see what they do with all of that. And it's like this like vivacious score that just makes you feel happy. There's not really any songs that are down in the dumps. There, honestly, there's not any. They're literally all peppy and upbeat. And, and sure, there are some like love songs, but like even like My White Night until there was you, like you still like there's a happiness to it. And um, I just, I just can't wait to to see the revival, and I'm very interested to see what they do when those two have to step out and they have to bring in replacements. How the billboards will change, but I will very, very briefly touch on the whole Beetlejuice situation. Do I think it's a horrible thing that Music Man took over the Winter Garden when Beetlejuice was doing well and the ratings were up and they were felt it felt like they were kind of kicking them out? Yes, I do think that that was not okay. I wish that it was gone about in a different way. I wish that maybe if, and I, I should have looked up more about the situation, but I think what was happening was that the, the Music Man producers wanted the Winter Garden to put on the Music Man. What I will say is I think there should have been more of an effort to find Beetlejuice a new location because it's all about money when it comes down to it. And the, the theaters that, the producers that are putting in the big bucks and that's the corrupt side of this business is that like if you're going to put in the big butts to get the theater then that theater is going to go to you but i think that because beetlejuice was doing well and because it was it was had such a good reaction and people were liking it and it it's really a re- really a great musical they should have found another place for it if that's the situation that had to happen do i wish that maybe the music man could have gone to a different theater sure but the fact of the matter is is that it, they wanted a winter garden, but they should have found Beetle, Beetlejuice a new home. I don't think it should have closed. That's my opinion on the fact of the matter. It's a horrible thing that happened, but that's the corrupt side of the Broadway industry. Wish that like things could be different, and hopefully maybe they will move towards it, but 
at the same time like it happens sometimes and Beetlejuice will live on forever like it will the, the tours are gonna be phenomenal those actors are all gonna get work they're all phenomenal all well-known actors they're gonna get work again and it will live on the musical will live on forever and maybe it'll even maybe they'll even come to their senses and bring it back in a different theater some at some other point but I've talked way too much about the upcoming performance, so let's go ahead and get into the actual meat and potatoes of the musical. So first thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the score and my favorite songs and songs that I think could go away and, and stuff of that nature. So first of all, I want to start with Rock Island, and I, I have to start with the fact that I didn't even know, guys, I didn't even know that this song was called Rock Island. I was sitting here, I was like looking up, doing my research, being a good podcaster, you know, like trying to figure things out. I saw that it's called Rock Island. I was like, what do you mean it's not called What Do You Talk? Like, <laughs> I guess I never really thought about what the title of that song was. It's just like, I always envisioned it being like, hey, what do you talk? What do you talk? He's a music man. He's a what? He's a what? You know, he's, it's, it's just like, I had no idea it was called Rock Island. This is one of my favorite openers. And one of my, honestly, it's one of my favorite patter songs in the entire musical theater canon. I think it really symbolizes their way of speaking as salesmen. I think the patter songs are perfect. And I think that what they do really well with Harold Hill in all of his songs is when he's being a salesman and he's trying to sell a band and he's telling people that pool is bad and you got trouble here in River City. Everything's a patter song, but when he's singing about emotion and like until there was you and then goodnight my someone reprise and and things of that nature, he, he really sings, but the rest of it is patter. And I think that's something that Meredith Wilson did really, really well in his composition of the score is that he he created characterization through the orchestration of the score. And so I think that Rock Island all being like starting like as a patter song and that really sets the tone for the rest of the musical and how salesmen kind of speak to you as in like a, hey, you want to buy this? Oh, but but it's, it's only 20. Oh, you, you don't want to do 20? Well, I'll do 15. Or maybe I'll do 15 and throw in $5 and you'll get this. You know, like it's it's all like, it's very pattery the way they talk. And I think that that was really smart of the way that they crafted the songs to really represent the people that, the types of people that were, were talking about them. Another thing I love about this opener is that it really does create the atmosphere and set up the characterization of Harold Hill very, very well. I think we get more of an atmosphere set up when we get to Iowa Stubborn and we see the town and, and how that is going to change throughout the show and the journey that the town's going to go on and everything. But I think as far as setting up the character of Harold Hill, they do a really good job in explaining exactly who he is, what his business is, how he's a con artist. One of the most iconic directions and blocking in musical theater history is when he says, I don't believe I caught your name. And Harold goes, I don't believe I dropped it. And then he holds up this big suitcase that says Professor Harold Hill. I think it's one of the most iconic moments. I don't know why, but I just think it's great. Um, so anyway, moving on. Another one of my favorite songs is Mary and the Librarian. And here's why. I think that some people can look at it and say, oh, it's creepy what he's doing and he's kind of like forcing her into this. But like, he's just, I think he's just being like, he's being a con artist, first of all. We all know, I can't sit here and talk about how on my last podcast that dear, that Evan Hansen and dear Evan Hansen is messed up and Harold Hill is not. I realized that like while re-watching the musical that Harold Hill is really a really nasty, nasty person. And it's almost like his redemption story isn't like fully redeemed. Back to Mary and the Librarian. 
I just, I, I don't know. I think that it's it's such a like sly song and I, I can't even explain like why it's one of my favorite songs, but every time it comes on, I'm like, Marion, Madam Librarian. But also I think the dance break is like one of my favorite dance breaks in musical theater history. I don't know why, I can't explain. It's just something that like comes from me watching this in my childhood and growing up with it and like falling in love with like all of the dancing and how cool it looks and how the it I call it the love potion dance break because Harold Hill like makes people fall in love with like the little things that he does and then all of a sudden we're in like a Cinderella and Prince Charming moment with Marion and and Harold and and then they have that moment and then she pulls away and she does because she because she kind of knows who he is and she has his suspicions and but that's like the first moment we really see a connection between the two of them even though it's her connecting and him kind of playing her but we'll get on to that later oh the wells fargo wagon such an iconic act one finale which is kind of weird because i feel like wells fargo wagon is is kind of a meme in the musical theater world i can't explain why i just feel like people are always like oh the wells fargo wagon is a coming down the street um, it's probably because of the lyrics. I just, I don't know. I, I think that it's a really well-crafted song and it's also, it shows a different side of the town. We see them go from Iowa Stubborn to Wells Fargo Wagon and this is the first time we really get to see the town be excited about something new because it's not like their, their stubborn, like normal, typical, everyday day way of living. It's something new and it's something exciting and I think it's a really good transition from what Iowa starts as, the people of Iowa start as, to what they kind of turn into at the very end of the show. It's a very good middle ground, which is why I think it serves as a really good act one finale. Another really fun song is Shapoopy. It's, it's upbeat, it really fits into the show. It's It gives me like Farmer and the Cowman vibes, probably because like the same situation is happening. I, that happened with another I don't know, I don't know why, maybe it, maybe it was Iowa Stubborn where I was like, why is this giving me like, everything's up to date in Kansas City, like, it, I have felt so many Oklahoma vibes while watching this show, but uh, I can't explain why, but Shapoopy is just another fun number, it's a number that everyone remembers, it doesn't really move along the plot, it's just a fun like social gathering song, it's a song that's like a song sung within the show, so people know that People are singing, not so much where like people just randomly burst into song. And then one of my favorite love songs, like in the whole musical theater canon is Till There Was You. I simply cannot explain why. I think that it's, and actually after watching the, re-watching the musical and understanding the mindsets of the two people, I'm kind of like, well, this is kind of like messed up. Like this is, he's playing her and she knows that he's playing her, but she's still in love with him, but he's, also, like, because I don't think that he fully feels, like, the love and the emotion for her until he sings in Good Night My Someone reprise, the kind of mashup between that and 76 Trombones, where he has that realization with, oh, wait, I think I actually kind of like this girl. Maybe even, I might, I might even love her. But I don't think that it happens until there was you, and I just realized that when I was re-watching it. But in... Light of all that, Till There Was You is still a very well-crafted love song. It's not a love song that's like, I fell in love with you the moment I saw you, blah, blah, blah. It's more of a, I didn't know that I could feel this way until I met you. I thought that I would always be stuck in my old ways 
and always be this old maid or that I would always just be like this con man and, and never actually feel for anyone. But then you came along and you changed me. I think that's a really good tie into what the overall message of the show is in general. Because the whole show in reality is about transformation. That's the biggest theme of the show in my mind. We see Harold Hill go from being this like hard con man with basically no feelings for anyone. He's kind of sociopathic to be completely honest because like he's he's conning these people and he does it in such a charming way that like you want to like the character you and when I was younger I didn't even realize that Harold Hill was a bad man like I didn't understand what was going on because he was so charming and the way that he's so sly and the way that he gets in and out of situations so easily and figures things out and knows exactly the right things to say to get the result that he wants that's like so scary honestly like it's it's so scary that there are there are real people out there like that and just the fact that like you never know who you're dealing with until it's too late like that is very scary but anyway back to his transformation he he's this con artist and then he I think the town has a bit of effect on on him and we don't really even see that until the end but especially Marion I think Marion has the biggest effect on him because she shows him what real love and real emotion is and I think that that's the turn when we see him no longer singing in patter form and fully and like deeply singing until there was you and the goodnight my someone reprise we see him kind of shift his mindset into like being able to feel at least the emotion of love if not the emotion of caring about the people you're surrounding yourself with and feeling love from someone else because I don't think that Harold has really ever felt that in his life. I'm not sure that Harold has really ever felt anything except for what's good out of conning people in his life. So that's the transformation we kind of see him. And then, I mean, we also see small transformations in Winthrop from going from this shy boy who is afraid to speak out because of his lisp. And we see him change from getting the cornet to being this a brave, headstrong little boy who is excited and he just has a reason to smile. We see the change in Marion from going from stubborn librarian to I'm falling in love with a guy to I'm seeing the effect that he's having on my family to being a changed woman and not really having issue with him being a conman, which we will talk about in a second because I have a whole flaws list that I want to go through as well. Um, but I think that the biggest transformation we see in this entire musical is kind of what I was talking about earlier. It's the transformation of the town in and of itself. The town we see, we start with Iowa Stubborn in a way that we are stubborn, we are stuck in our ways. This is how the day is supposed to go. We don't like when new things happen. We don't like new people coming in and messing up what we're very used to. We live our days the like in a groundless a groundhog situation where every day is the same and we don't like change and we are stuck in our ways and we are not going to do anything to change it and then Harold Hill comes in and now granted in a not good way like he is scamming them and he is being a con artist but he changes their attitude and he gets them excited and he takes this very like pessimistic um, stuck in their way stubborn town and turns them into people who are excited about new things and new ways of doing things and makes them a positive 
town that looks at things in it looks at things in a new way. And that's kind of seen at the very end of the show where when Harold Hill is conducting the horrible band because he has not taught them an inkling of how to play instruments, the characters, the adults get excited about what their kids are doing because they never thought that their kids could branch out and play a clarinet or play a little cornet or a trombone or a tuba. And we just see them have this whole new breath of fresh air about them and I think that that's the the overall biggest theme of transformation that we see throughout the show overall it's it's a it's a good message of how like all you have to do is change your mindset and you can turn into a completely different person and you can live the life you can live a much better life and um you don't always have to be stuck in the same way of doing everything every single day and like I said, that's the town, but it's also Harold and it's also Marion in the two main characters' way of doing things. Um, another transformation, I'll just want to talk about this for just a little bit because I did happen to play a Pick a Little Lady, and so I'm not going to go this whole way and not talk about them. But the Pick a Little Ladies, they're so stuck in their ways about Marion at the beginning, and they're like, she allows books like Chaucer and Balzac and blah, 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 blah. And then we see... Harold Hill have a bit of an effect on them and then at the in the second act they're excited about these books they're reading these books and they're excited to talk to Marion about them and so that's their tiny transformation we see the the four the quartet the barbershop quartet that Harold Hill happens to put together even though Harold Hill is like known to not be able to sing a pitch yeah however he sets up this entire like barbershop quartet we're going to talk about that in the flaws section as well because i just think that there are some things that are like a little bit questionable that happen in the plot line of this musical that don't exactly match up to other things that happen but we see them go from these these four guys who can't stand to be around each other and who are on a mission and are just we're here to get the papers and blah, blah, blah. We're work, 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 work. And then we turn them into the barbershop quartet who sings wherever they go now. And they just like any opportunity they have to like collaborate together and work together. And we see that transformation as well. I think I've talked now about all of the transformations. I don't think there are any more. Um, Mrs. Peru doesn't have that much of a transformation, I don't think. But, you know, we love her character. We love we love to see her. But yeah, that's the overall message of the show, I think, is the whole idea that like all you have to do is shift your mindset and you can become a whole new person living a whole new life that you never thought that you could live. And that's a good message in theory. I wouldn't go about it in the way that Harold Hill goes about it, though. It's it's the same. It's the whole Dear Evan Hansen situation again. Like, we should not be idolizing these sociopathic tendencies um, in and glorifying them in musical theater. But it's it's a nice message to send to the community as an overall taking away aspect of leaving the theater with having learned something. Um, so that's what that's what you learn from this musical is that you can transform if you really want to. Now I want to talk about the flaws that I see in this musical. There are only a few. Here's the, the whole fact of the matter is that the musical was not made to be bulletproof. The musical was made to be a happy, peppy musical that lightens people's spirits and brings people joy. That's why there's not one single sad song in the entire show. And we really don't have that much conflict in the show as well. 
Like, it's not, there's nobody's, like, it's not even, like, Oklahoma where, like, people are dying and um, you think that you're going into, like, a happy musical and then you come out and you're kind of sad and it's not, like, Carousel. It's not, like, those types of musicals where, like, it starts happy and then, like, we get deep or we have a deep moment and then we get happier. It's really just, like, starkly a joyous musical that brings people joy and, like, every single song is upbeat. Every single song has like, you want, it makes you want to sing along. Like I didn't talk about these because I didn't feel like I needed to, but like Trouble and 76 Trombones, those are like the main songs in the whole show that everyone's remember, everyone remembers and everyone gets up on their feet about. They bring you so much happiness and joy to listen to and to watch the transformation of the kids getting excited about stuff and and the, the the townsfolk being like oh we got trouble like we got trouble here we got big big trouble um seeing like that just them going through that journey and so the musical is not bulletproof and it has flaws and i'm just here to point them out um in no other way than with love and with fun and just to like talk to you guys about it okay number one this is a question that I've always had. It's just a very minuscule flaw. But like, why does Mrs. Peru have an accent, but Marion and Winthrop don't? I don't know if they mention like, the, they, they don't, they mention that the dad has died, but they don't really mention how long ago. Clearly he was a part of Marion's life for a lot longer than Winthrop's because Winthrop is much younger than Marion. However, did he not have an accent? Is it because they were brought up in this like Iowa society? But that doesn't necessarily mean that that they wouldn't have an Irish accent. I'm just so curious as to why Mrs. Peru is so Irish, but her daughter and her son aren't. <laughs> just, you know, thoughts that go on in my head when I'm watching musicals, but that's just a tiny, tiny, tiny minor flaw. Um, another flaw that I find is that Marion, Marion simply does not have a care in the world that Harold Hill is literally scamming her and her brother and the whole town. It's like she overlooks the con artist because of how happy her brother is and and the change that changes that she sees that is coming to him. And it I know that she kind of ties it in at the end in that like, yes, he's a scam artist, but also like look how he's changed each and every one of you. But it doesn't it doesn't take away from the fact that he's still scamming you. And she falls so deeply in love with him, even though she literally knows that he is a con artist and that he's scamming her brother. It just doesn't make any sense to me and it doesn't like all line up. And it's very evident that he doesn't have real feelings for her until Goodbye My Someone reprise. Like even in the whole Till There Was You scene, like he's still just trying to, he's working his magic on her. He's doing what he does in every town to like the girls who are suspicious of him. He's trying to get them to fall in love with him. And we see that in the scene with Charlie that he has right after. Like maybe it's a little bit different. Maybe he does feel a little bit something, but like, we don't actually even see that he's fully in love with her until he sings Good Night My Someone. Like, and I don't know. I just think that that's very, like, it's, it's such a touchy issue and it doesn't really make sense that she falls in love with him. And how we usually see this play out in musicals is that the girl falls in love with the con artist and she doesn't know that he's a con artist. And then she finds out that he's a con artist and then like hates him and like goes on his way. Like that's the typical way that we see these things fall out. But it's never really a situation where like she kind of knows from the beginning that he's full of it, you know? Like he doesn't know how to actually teach people to play instruments. 
and he she knows like she's a very smart girl she figures it out pretty quickly and she still chooses to fall in love with him simply because of the way that he treats her brother and how the changes that she sees within Winthrop but what doesn't compute for me is that the fact that she knows that it's all a scam and in the end, her brother is going to get hurt by it all. I don't know. Like, in, in my mind, if I knew that, I would literally be like, bro, why you are making my brother happy, but what for? Like, he's just going to be upset and sad when he realizes that this is all a scam. So that's a, a, another little flaw that I see with that. Um, another plot flaw is they're always like, especially in the first song, they're like, he doesn't know the territory. He doesn't know how to teach people to play instruments. He doesn't know he, uh, he doesn't know an A pitch from a B pitch. Like he doesn't know anything about music, yet he sits there and he teaches the barbershop quartet how to be a barbershop quartet. Like, you know, he's like, you sing on this pitch, you sing on this pitch, you sing on this pitch, you know, like he clearly knows something. He's musically inclined. Like, he clearly knows what he's doing in that capacity. He knows what harmonies are and everything. Okay, so maybe he doesn't know how to teach someone to play an instrument, but it's not that he's not musically inclined at all, which is something that they point out quite often. Because you can't just create a barbershop quartet out of nothing. I mean, that's a little hysterical anyway, the fact that they could just, like, they know all the harmonies and they know all of these songs off the top of their heads anyway. That's a little bit of a... Uh, a stretch anyway but I call these like flaws like fantasy flaws like flaws that can only happen within the realm of musical theater musical theater can get away with it because it's musical theater but I'm like looking at it in a reality realistic type of um, mindset so that's why I'm calling these fantasy flaws and the final one and this in my mind is like the biggest flaw that maybe I just don't fully understand but the whole fact that the whole thing of him being a con artist is getting them to buy these instruments and these uniforms and him pocketing the money anyway. And I guess they kind of set it up to, to be like, oh, well, the, the scam of it all is that he is not teaching them how to actually play the instruments. But wouldn't the if the scam is all about the money, then wouldn't it be about them paying him for the instruments and the uniforms and them never arriving? And then he dips out of town before then? That's just in my mind, like that is more of like what the scam seems like it should be rather than them getting the instruments and not being able to play them. That's what, I don't know. That's, that's like the other, like one thing that I just don't understand and that I kind of look at it critically about. because then right it like doesn't make sense that like he, the instruments and the uniforms do come in so how did he get them without paying for them and how is he pocketing money because in right like I, I don't know to hold the whole scam of it all doesn't make sense and it doesn't make sense that they're all like oh we're gonna tar and feather you because you promised to teach our boys how to play the instruments but you didn't do that you just made them buy them which i understand is like why do why are we buying an instrument and not learning how to play it i do understand that but like at the same time in my mind more of the scam would be the situation where he and maybe this is like i'm I've, I shouldn't even be thinking like this. Like, oh my gosh, I'm not a con artist. Anyway, but um, if I were, I would pocket the money and then the things would never arrive and I would dip out of town before it even, before the arrival date was supposed to happen. 
Maybe it's just something that the writers didn't think about when they were writing the initial show. They were like, let's just put on a peppy musical and have a happy ending. And we're not going to think too much about the logistics of it. Because when it comes down to it, this is my overall wrap-up of the show. It is a great feel-good happy-go-lucky musical that doesn't really have that much conflict. There, there was room for more conflict in the musical than there actually ends up being. But however, they kind of just glide over the initial conflict. I and, and this is something that I didn't even talk about, but like the two characters who are actually trying to do what's right, which is the mayor and Charlie, they are almost painted as the villains in this show. Because the, all the mayor is doing, and now granted, the mayor is doing it because he owns the billiard parlor and he doesn't want change and he is very stuck in his ways and he is one of those that doesn't want transformation in the town. But when it comes down to it, he's trying to stop the scam and so is Charlie. And Charlie and the mayor are really painted as these huge villains in the town. Um, that And they're most of the, where the conflict comes from, when in reality, no one's really looking at Harold and saying, oh, Harold, you're the con artist and we should all be mad at you, but instead we're going to sing your praises because you got our kids to be happy again. I don't know. It's very, very warped mindset in my mind. And that's maybe why as a child, you don't always like see that Harold Hill is the bad guy. It's so funny because I haven't seen this movie, I'm telling you, since eighth grade. And while I like understood it then, when you really sit down and you analyze these things, you have like a whole new perspective on the musicals themselves. And I'm sitting here like, as a, as a child and as a kid watching this musical, I didn't even compute that Harold Hill was a villain and that he was a con artist. And I didn't understand the fact that like he was literally scamming these people because they don't really set it up that way. You see like he, him coming in and doing these things and then Charlie and the mayor getting in his way. And you're like, I don't like those people. Overall, it's a great musical. It's a musical of my childhood. It's very, very, it has a very similar like place in my heart as The Sound of Music does. If you wanna go listen to that episode, that's my very, very first episode that I ever talk about. And I talk about how The Sound of Music has had such an impact on my life. Um, but I always forget about The Music Man. Like I said earlier, it's just one of those musicals where like someone will mention it to me and I'm like, oh yeah, it's a fine musical, like whatever. And then I sit down and rewatch it and I'm like, no, wait, this is actually really good. I really like this. I'm very much enjoying all of these songs and I'm actually can't help myself from singing them right now. So that's the musical. I was very, very happy to talk about it today and relive all of those nice, glorious moments from my childhood. But let's go ahead and get into my favorite character, my least favorite character, my Tony Award-winning moment, my rating, and of course, the moment you're waiting for, the Dreamcast. So my favorite character is Mrs. Peru because I just think that she's just, she's like the kind of the comedic relief a little bit, but also like the motherly figure. And I just think that she doesn't really have any flaws in this musical. She's one of the only characters who's consistently like herself. And she doesn't go through the, like this great big transformation like all the other characters do. She's kind of just like there to be the mother and like be hard. She's like your typical like Irish mother, like to be hard on Marion about like not finding love yet and being maybe she'll be an old maid and blah 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 but like she's funny and she's just like a, a lovely presence every time she steps on stage which is why she's my favorite character my least favorite character is charlie just because like he doesn't really have that big of a plot line we see him as a villain even though like like i said earlier he's not really being the villain he's just trying to look out for the town 
but um, we see him as the villain and that whole scene, his one scene with Marion is just weird, which I actually feel like I remembered it incorrectly because she kisses him. For some reason, I remember him kissing her. I don't know why, but I watched it yesterday and she definitely kisses him um, to get him to stop going to tell the mayor about Harold Hill, but unfortunately he finds a way to do it anyway. Oh, another one of my favorite characters just for like comedic re relief is Mrs. Shin, whatever her first name is. Eulalie, I think it's, it's Eulalie Shin. But anyway, she's just like a hoot and a holler and like the whole pick little gang, I love all of their bits where they're like the, in the fountain and, and then there's little moments in the musical like that where it just, it just makes you laugh and it makes you smile. and. Um, it's a musical where you can smile all the way through, which is why, again, why it's so great. My Tony Award winning moment is the Mary and the Librarian Love Potion Dance. It's one of my favorite dance breaks and I simply can't explain why. It's the whole fact of the matter that he is like doing these tiny little things to like interact, like he brings the dance to life. It's not like it, they're just going into a dance break. Like he brings it to life and he entices Marion in this way. And then all of a sudden there are Cinderella and Prince Charming and falling in love and the whole bit with the marbles. I don't know. I just think that that's such a great sequence and it's one of my favorite dance breaks in the musical theater canon. And so that's my Tony Award winning moment. On to my rating. I am giving this musical eight out of 10 trombones. I can't say 76 trombones because that wouldn't make sense because it's only eight trombones, but I'm giving it eight out of 10 because it is such a happy musical. But as I said, there are flaws in the plot point, some that I'm willing to overlook, some that I have questions about. And that question being, why does Mrs. Peru have an accent and Marion doesn't? And that's, that's just the question I will never stop asking. But I'm giving it eight out of 10 trombones mostly for childhood points and just like a musical that makes you happy and that is a musical for everyone. There's literally not one singular person who cannot go see this musical. And like I said, with the whole revival, I'm very excited to see how it turns out. So excited to see the interpretation of the casting. Um, believe what you want about the, st about the stunt casting, have your own opinion about it. But go see the show. Don't let it stop you from not going to see the show. Don't sit here and say, oh, well, it's stunt casting, so I'm not gonna go see the show. Guys, come on. Like, those two actors are very, very qualified to play the roles, and don't you want to see their interpretations of it? Because I know I do. Anyway, that's the musical. Now we're going to talk about the Dreamcast, which is one of my favorite parts of the, the podcast because I get to actually tell you guys people that I would love to see play these roles. So Harold Hill, the ultimate sibling role reversal. I want to see Hunter Foster play Harold Hill. I couldn't tell you why. I think that he's the right type for it. I think that after seeing his interpretation of Bobby in Urine Town, which is what he's like most known for, I would say, it, he would just like have these like quality of Harold Hill. Like he's got the pattering down. He's got the like controlling the stage down packed. And I think that he would be a, a really cool interpretation. Um, we're gonna talk about who I chose for Marcellus later because there might be a bit of a conflict there, but uh, we'll get to that in a second. Marion, I would love to see Laura Benanti play this role for the mere fact that she's Laura Benanti. Like she would, I think that this is, this is a role that was crafted for her. Like she would be so good in this role. It's not like you're looking at Sutton Foster and saying, I'd be interested to see her interpretation, but she's not, that's like the role isn't made for her. I feel like the role is like made for someone like Laura Benanti and I'd love to see her play the role. 
Mrs. Peru, Audra McDonald, simply because Audra, I want her to play the mother in every single show. She has such a great motherly presence. She has this beautiful, gorgeous voice. Mrs. Peru doesn't sing that much, but like, I don't even care that Mrs. Peru doesn't have a song. Like, just write one for her. Just let, let me live my like Audra McDonald playing Mrs. Peru life, okay? Just let it happen. Winthrop, okay, here's one. You're just gonna have to like, trust me on it. But like, if Andrew Keenan Bolger could like, go back in age, like just like unage and be a child for the rest of his life, that'd be great. And I would also love to see him play Winthrop as a seven-year-old. Okay, thank you. Um, this is the one that's a little controversial if I'm gonna have Hunter Foster play Harold Hill. So, Marcellus, I said Christian Borel. If you know the T there, you know the T there. And I don't know um, how they would work as playing best friends. And I don't even know if there's any animosity there. But, like, I think that, like, Christian Borel would be a good Marcellus. And that's my dream cast, so I can do whatever I want. For Tommy, I have Ben Cook. Just makes sense. Zanita, I said Ashley Park. I think she's a little too old to play Zanita. But, again, if we could just age her back a little bit. She can dance. She can sing. The one thing I forgot to talk about earlier, now that I'm talking about Tommy and Zanita, what is up with the catchphrases in this show? Like, why does Zanita say ye gats like 5,000 times? Why does Tommy say, what, I don't even remember what he says. He says like, Geely Klein or something like that. And Charlie says like, crimedy or something like that. Like, what is up with these catchphrases? We don't need them. Um, and I don't understand them. Anyway, back to Zanita. Ashley Park I have for Zanita. For Mrs. Shin, I said Bernadette Peters. Because why not? Can you imagine Bernadette Peter being like, and now we're a fountain, and now we're singing about Balzac, and like, like she would come on. Like, she's the perfect Mrs. Shin. And for the final Mayor Shin, I said Norm Lewis. I can't explain why. I just think that he'd be a great mayor. Why not? And that wraps up the Dreamcast, and with that, we are wrapping up the Musical of the Week, which means we are moving on to the Game of the Week, in which I have brought a very special guest on to play with me. So may I introduce to you, you guys know her, you guys love her, the light of my life. <laughs> Miss so Genevieve Taylor. It's me. She's the light back. of my life. The light of my life. She has not been able to be in this podcast because Missy has had job interviews over here. But also, what did you just go and do yesterday that might have made you not available to be in this podcast today? <laughs> um, I got my second dose of the COVID Woo! vaccine. Genevieve is vaccinated. It hasn't hit me yet. I'm nervous. It's We're going out for our friend's birthday tonight, and I'm afraid that, like, mid-dinner, I'm going to start <laughs> feeling like I have COVID, which is going to be really sad. Do you know what I actually thought about earlier? I was like, what if they take my temperature and I'm feeling, like, feverish from, like, the vaccine? Oh. Like, will they not let me in? Don't feel feverish before someone Literally, talks. like, I'm going to put an ice cube on my head. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going to ice my forehead before. But They're going to be like, you're 92 degrees. <laughs> Genevieve just got the second vaccine, and so she is fully vaccinated, and she hasn't felt the effects of it yet. So hopefully... She's still she's still kicking later on tonight. I'm gonna be so mad if I felt fine all day and then around like five o'clock <laughs> I'm just feeling gross. I'm gonna be so mad. 
So the game today I've pulled straight from Playbill.com, which means that I'm getting lazier and lazier with these games, but I don't know, I thought it was fun, and I was like, I, I don't think I can do this, but I think it'll be a fun time trying to get me to figure out how to do this. So this, call, this game I'm gonna call The Final Line, and basically it's, Playbill is gonna give me the final line of each show, and we have to try and figure out what show it's the from. The final line. So of like each the show? ending line. So like if it were like you're in town, it would be like that was our show. That or not? That's the last line that's sung, but like the last line of dialogue is like, um, uh, "Thank you and good night, Hail Mountains." Mm-hmm. Thank you and good night. Mm-hmm. So and we would be like, "Oh, that's you're in town." So. That's what we're going to do. And I think that it's, if we don't know what it is, we should try and, like, we have to talk about, like, figuring it out. Like, how did, how, how okay. do we get there? All right. So let's see. So the first one is you will bow to me, the gentleman, in this way, bending only at the waist. The ladies will make dip, as in Europe. And then it says mother. So, like, does mother say that? Or is that a part of the line? Well, I mean, if Mother says that, that means it's ragtime. I don't think it's ragtime, <laughs> because though. Because who else is named Mother? <laughs> I know. I just watched ragtime, and I, that doesn't make sense. You will bow to me, the gentleman, in this way, bending only at the waist. The ladies make dip. <gasps> I know what it is. What is it? Well, we, yeah, I want you to try and figure it out. Oh, I have absolutely I only it. figured it out because the... They're, she's, they're like teaching them how to bow and like, well, if you, if you know what it is, is mother, mother is part uh, of the line. Part of the line. Oh, okay. Hold on. Uh, you will bow to me, the gentleman in this way, bending only at the waist, the ladies will make dip as in Europe. I, for, no, that can't be. Any guesses? The only thing that's coming to mind is My Fair Lady, but I know that it's not Mm -hmm. My Fair Lady. I, like, that is not the last line of My Fair Lady. No, the last line of My Fair Lady is like. Where are my shoes or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I really, it's not, no, and it's not Anastasia. Mm-mm. Europe. The ah. character is like teaching them how to bow and. Oh, 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 I know exactly what it is. Okay, ready? It's, it's One, two, two three. three. The king, king and, and I. I. Yes, yeah. okay. Yes, that, that was a good hint. There we go. Yeah, it was the king and I. That's the last line? I guess so. To be fair, I've never seen the stage musical. I've only seen the I've movie. only, like, seen it once in, like, a bootleg, I think. But, like, I just, like, pulled context clues from, like, she said Europe. She's teaching them how to bow. No, that's perfect. Like, yeah, no, perfect, yeah. perfect, perfect. Okay, the next one is white, a blank page or canvas, his favorite. So many possibilities. Oh, I think I know what that is. Yeah, me too. Right. It, the, Three, I feel like I can take it yeah. from context. Three, two, one. Sunday, Sunday in the, the park, park with George. George. Is that yeah. it? It's gotta be. It's about painting. Do we find out at the end? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, there it is. so that was Sunday in the park with George. We're two for two. That's pretty good. That's all pretty right, good. All right, all right, next. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> That's the last line? It actually is. I was watching it yesterday. Well, okay. The, so the line is Mrs. Peru. That's Winthrop. One, two, three. The music, music man. man. Yeah. But I was watching it yesterday, and like they're so it's, they're like in the parade, mm-hmm. and the mayor goes to Mrs. Peru. Mrs. Peru. That's Winthrop, and then Marion and Harold Hill like kiss, and then it's over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think so far, I think my been... goal in life is to write a musical with like the most random last line. Like. <laughs> so far, th- these have been pretty yeah. pretty easy. Okay, trapped. Which isn't too bad for the end of a musical comedy. Ta-da! 
Do you know what it is? Okay, let's mm-hmm. think of music. Okay, well, something rotten maybe. Would that the, be it? Okay. I don't see. The thing is, I don't know something rotten at all. So I'm trying to. Th- something rotten's a good clue, but like, cause it, I want. I almost wanted to say like it's not urine town, but it has a urine town yeah. feel where like there's like a narrator because they're pointing out the fact that it's a musical comedy. And I don't. Funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I almost want to say like gentleman's guy. I don't know why. I don't know. See, see, I don't know any of those. Okay. I'm bad. Bad musical theater student. Ta-da. They say ta-da. Ta-da. Trapped. I'm going to do funny thing happen on the way to the forum. I don't know. Oh my God. I don't want to get it wrong. I think we're going to get it wrong. This looks like something that we don't know. Okay. I feel like, I feel like if we actually knew this show, we what? You know it? Really? Say ta-da. It just like sparked in my head. It's a musical that you know. Um, you probably haven't seen it in a while, but it was was when I saw it, it became one of my favorite musicals. Um, Trapped, which isn't too bad for the end of a musical. Think comedy. of the tada, like it's like it is like a narr some ta-da. form of a narrator. Like okay, we're just no, gonna have to I don't know okay. it. Ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Pippin. That's not Pippin. No way. <laughs> what? That's the last line of Pippin? Because I thought thought Pippin, and then I was like, no, that's not the last line of Pippin. Oh, but I guess I was thinking sung because they do the Mm -hmm. at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the last line of dialogue, though. That's the last line of dialogue. Isn't that weird? It took me forever. Like, I haven't seen Pippin in forever. Is Pippin a musical comedy? No. Yeah, I was about (laughs) to say. I was about to say, I don't think Pippin's funny. Sorry. Sorry, world. Eliza, where the devil are my slippers? We literally said this earlier. This is my fair lady. Yeah. Um, okay, next. Caption. Every so often, there was a rare moment of perfect balance where I, when I soared above him. Uh, I don't get the caption part. I don't either. Um, I mean, why did it sound... I know it's not next to normal because we just no, watched it's not. that, but it sounds like something similar to next to normal. Yeah, it's definitely not. Why do um, I want to say Dear Evan Hansen? I don't think that would be it because the when I soared above him like that wouldn't make sense okay where do we fly we're flying we're soaring a character who feels down um maybe I don't know where <laughs> when I soared above I'm I mean I know it's not but I don't know what else it could be so I'm just gonna say next to normal why am I sitting here being like it's Dumbo <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I'm saying uh, next to normal. It's not next to normal, but I don't know what else it could be. I'm going to say Dear Evan Hansen. I know it's not, but... Okay, ready? Yeah. An ad. Cool. Fun, Fun Home. Home. I've never seen Fun Home. I only know the songs. Why, would that, songs why would that be the... Now I'm interested. So, some of these know. shows that I don't know, I'm like, why is that like, I know. the last line? Okay, so there's one more. Oh, I know what this is. Teodora Anton. Is that um, Comet? Great Comet? No. A musical where they speak, some characters speak in a foreign language. Just some? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's not in the heights. No. No. Anton. Wait, hold on. <laughs> I'm hearing it. <gasps> I don't know. I literally just watched this on Netflix. That's the only reason I can remember. What is it? It's West Side Story. That's the end? I thought it was... That's the last line of West Side Story? Mm-hmm. I thought that um, the last line of West Side Story was something like... I'm gonna shoot you. <laughs> I'm gonna shoot you. Who the hell is Anton? Because no, she um listen, she walks away with like she walks away from his yeah. body and then says it to someone. I don't remember. I've only seen it once. 
That's so That's weird. really bad. I just exposed myself. I watched it on Netflix for like the first time the other day. Anyway, that's the game. I wasn't even keeping score. I just think it was kind of funny to mm-hmm. try and figure that out. But, um... Well, I mean, you clearly won. There was like a couple that I didn't know. Yeah. So, so now we're going to move on to my favorite, favorite part of the podcast, which is the advice column, which is where I give you guys a little piece of advice that I maybe learned from the four years of while getting a BFA, or maybe I even learned it a little bit after, but I think that it's relevant to people who want to be performers and honestly just people in general life as well, people who want to be teachers and lawyers or whatever you want to be. I try to pick stuff that's general enough to like be helpful to everyone. So my advice for today was actually sparked by a conversation that Genevieve and I had last night, but it's invest your time and your energy into doing things that make you feel like the person that you want to be. And that way, you're living the life that you want to live and there's no restrictions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That was a huge conversation. I like went into Kelsey's room. We had a with whole my, like, with my little my, my little <laughs> bullet journal. And I was like, I'm trying to write like kind of like kind of like a vision board, but not really. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, I just feel like there's a person that I want to be that I've always wanted to be. And I just haven't been living that life. Yeah. And then like, you know... What can I do, you know, and my cousin who I was talking to gave me like a really good way of thinking about it where she's like, come up with like a name for what you want to be. And her example was like, I I like the idea of being a French girl, you know, Mm -hmm. sitting at the cafe, smoking a cigarette, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and she was like, so then I think about what would a French girl do? Well, she wouldn't be scrolling through TikTok for five hours. She would, you know, go to a museum. She would read a really cool book. She would go on a walk in a park or whatever, you know, all those things. And so like, I was thinking about like, well, what do I want to be? And I like came up with my thing and wrote down all the things. And you just envision like, what would the French girl do? Mm -hmm. What would the girl at a bar do you know stuff like that and it it can be as small as like investing in like little tiny things that just Mm -hmm. make you happy throughout the day like if you love to read take out time of your day to read a book if you want to present yourself as as not more presentable but like if you want to like fix your skin like go invest in like a good skincare routine or like a hair care routine Mm -hmm. or like like take time to take care of yourself and May be happy in your own skin and then you can start living right. the life that like you want to live and then just like don't hold back like if there's something you want to do and you have the means to be able to do it go do it don't live your life like with restrictions because that makes you a more like well-rounded person it makes you able to like have conversations and with people and be able to tell people about these exciting things that you've done or or talk about things that you're passionate about I think that like a big thing that like Genevieve and I have been talking about lately is these job interviews and people are like well tell me about yourself and we're like we we uh, do musical theater and we were just trapped in a yeah. theater conservatory for the past four years and we haven't really done anything else because now we're struggling artists and we're poor yeah that just happened to me that happened to me today they were like so tell me about yourself and I was like hmm (laughs) I'm from Maine and I've worked the same two jobs since I was 15 years old and theater and yeah yeah (laughs) so it's like it's and this ties all into the whole like transforming theme that we see in the music man like it's just about a mind shift thing all you have to do is shift your mindset and like invest your time and energy into being the person that you want to be, not the person that you're expected to be, not the person that other people want you to be, and not the life that you think you have to live. Live the life that you want to live, and that will make you... This doesn't really, like... 
I mean, it kind of ties into theater a little bit, I guess, like as a, as a person, because like once you know yourself, then you know how to like present yourself and be out there. But like, this is more of like a personal advice today. Like it's, it's just like, take care of yourself and like invest in yourself and find what makes you happy and, and live your life the way you want to live it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen, sister. Yes. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening each week. If you want to find me personally, I'm on Instagram at underscore Kelsey McFall underscore. I'm also on TikTok at KelseyMC137. Genevieve is on Instagram as well. If you can find her, Genevieve Taylor, whatever. Genevieve underscore Taylor. There you go. Give me um, give me advice on Instagram content. That's another thing that I'm trying to she do. Wants, I want to I want to. She wants look, to be an Instagram influencer. Not not actually. I don't want to be an influencer, but I do want to feel proud of my Instagram. <laughs> I don't want to be stressed about the fact that someone might go look at my Instagram and be like, oh, she's a loser. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening each week. I will see you guys next week. I love you so much. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.